And this morning, uh, you have a neat opportunity to hear from somebody who we have empowered for a number of years and partnered with for a number of years to do those three things. And his name is Mike Olajars. And I'm also wearing a baseball jersey today because that would be Mike's sport of choice. And he may tell you a little bit of his own testimony here in a bit. But he was a, he's a baseball player. And kind of until Jesus grabbed a hold of his heart, I guess, and turned some things around. And uh, he works with cam- or, uh, a campus ministry called Chi Alpha, which is Assembly of God. I guess if you could imagine the Assembly of God doing Campus Crusade, that's kind of sort of the same thing, I would suppose. Uh, and uh, has been in, has involved in that since he, really since he got saved in college. And it's coming to us all the way, kind of by way of Columbus, I guess, in the last couple of days. But Massachusetts, where he's served in capacities doing campus ministries in places like MIT, Boston College, Boston U. And, uh, man, just making a difference in the lives of some young people. And so you can tell when you're, you, you, you assess if you're going the right direction when you, have, when you know what your purpose is and you link up with people who are doing what God's called you to do. And so with no further ado, would you please make welcome Mike Olajars, or Mr. O, as he refers to himself. Thanks, everybody. Blessings. Well, good morning, church. I was born and raised in a middle-class Polish Catholic family in Detroit, Michigan, oldest of four kids. I grew up going to Mass every week. Um, I learned pretty quickly that uh, honesty and hard work and treating people with respect, opening doors for my mom, uh, doing my chores, um, having a good work ethic, that was, that was, those are valuable things in my family. Uh, we prayed before meals. We prayed before bedtime. But if you'd have asked me, was I a Christian? Was I a follower of Jesus? I'm not sure if I would have answered that question because we never talked in those terms. We never talked about what our faith in church on Sunday meant the rest of the week. So I grew up in a great home. Uh, I grew up in a very loving, secure family. My parents are still married. They're 75 years of age up in Detroit right now. Uh, My aunts and uncles were just solid examples of great people, uh, character people, deep people in many ways. But imagine my surprise when I go to Athens, Ohio on a baseball scholarship in the the mid-1970s and I'm getting off the Greyhound bus and a student says to me, excuse me, are you a Christian? Yeah, you with the army duffel bag over your shoulder. I said, as I began to kind of sneak away, uh, uh, well, uh, I've been to church a few times. I didn't ask you that. I mean, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, does it? And I felt very uncomfortable. No one ever talked to me about God. I never had any conversations like he was trying to get me into. And I said, uh, uh, he, said he, he, could tell, he, got, he could tell, I was nervous. He says, hey, before you take off, before you take off, pal, Get a New Testament. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus Christ, the greatest book of all time. And I said, okay, thanks, pal. And I kind of shuffled away really quickly, embarrassed, uncomfortable. Um, Find my dormitory, get checked in, report to varsity baseball practice. Two days later, guess who I met in the locker room? That student was a starting second baseman on the varsity team. His name was Smitty, Doug Smith, also from Detroit, my hometown. Had been knifed in a fight, had a 20-inch scar across his gut, almost died in the hospital, and he had a visitation from God saying, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Smitty said, yes, sir. He goes to Ohio University, one of the great baseball schools in America. If you're a baseball fan, you might recognize the name Mike Schmidt, who is a Third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's currently in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Schmitty, Mike Schmidt, played a couple years before I got to Ohio University in Athens. So I get to know Doug Smith, Smitty, and I get to know my teammates, and guess what I learned? There were seven other Christians on the varsity team. And these eight guys, I learned two things, particularly from those eight guys. Number one, they were the best players in our team. I thought, wow, religious people and excellence. They were kind of matched. I didn't really think about that ever. I thought they were good at religion, but number two, they were outspoken witnesses for Christ. They talked about Christ. They weren't pushy, although athletes, if you're an athlete, we can challenge one another. Hey, how much can you bench press? And, and that sort of thing. And so I can understand that kind of language, but they were excited, incredible examples as I watched them in those first couple of months being in Athens. Fast forward a year, 
or so later my junior year, third year in college, come to a crisis point, went through a bad breakup with a girlfriend, and I'd gone to a couple Bible studies to kind of get my teammates off my back. They were really persistent. Hey, come to a Bible study. You're not going, you know, you're not going to church at all. You're not really doing anything with your spiritual life. I said, okay, I'll go. And I went to one Bible study from the book of Genesis on sex and the athlete. And I learned that my lifestyle at the time was in direct contradiction to God's word. No one ever told me sex outside of marriage was wrong. And so I thought, wow, that's interesting. Um, a month later, my girlfriend breaks up with me. We've been sleeping together. And I thought, all of a sudden, I began to kind of feel like God's talking to me in my dorm room right before spring break of my junior year. And I felt that my lifestyle was out of order and in two ways. Number one, towards him, and number two, towards people. Because, see, I, I became the captain of the varsity team during my junior year. And people would try to pick a fight with me on campus. Why? Who knows? Make a, re make a reputation for themselves. Uh, try to beat up the catcher, the captain of the baseball team. The problem was my dad taught me how to box. And I was really good at hitting people. And so it, I didn't lose too many fights when people tried to approach me and, you know, take me on on a bar. But I thought, you know what, I'm getting tired of getting challenged all the time. Could I ever walk away? Well, my ego said, no, I like hitting the guy and, you know, pow, pow, right in the kisser, and down he goes, and away I can go back to my beer and my hamburger and talk to my friends. But I began to feel like the Lord was talking to me, saying, you got to change your life. So I, I remember one time as a 10th grader going to Catholic Mass and my priest saying something like this, it really comes down to doing the best you can do, and when you die, hope to get to heaven. And that didn't ring true with me. I thought, wait a second, do you the best you can do and hope? It didn't sound equitable. So here I am as a junior. I get these thoughts, if I die, what would happen? My girlfriend's breaking up. I'm tired of getting in fist fights. And I remember that Bible study I went to on sex and the athlete and the power that they talked about that Christ has to help us answer the first question, how do I get right with God? And then how do I get right with people around me? Because I was messing up my girlfriend relationships. Uh, I, was a, I was still a, an A student, so classes are going well. But I came to a point recognizing that I needed God's help. So I asked God, and I prayed this prayer. God, take your best shot at me. That's all I knew to pray. Never heard anybody really pray except for, now I lay me down to sleep. And I didn't need that kind of prayer at that time in my life. And so I said, God, help me. And, and I began to, um, nothing happened. You know, no lightning bolts in my, my dorm, in my apartment. Uh, next day, told my teammates, they were ecstatic, yes, 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 we're winning someone to Christ. Got my first Bible. Here I am, born and raised in America, never seen a Bible. Uh, my, my teammates began to tell me, here's how you begin to read, here's where you start to read. Start the book of Mark, shortest, shortest account of Jesus' life, a lot of action stories, kind of like a comic book in many ways. And so I began to read and learn about Jesus and who he was and his teachings and what it meant. And I began to understand how God could help me learn to, for example, walk away from a fistfight opportunity. I began to learn how to discipline my mind and not buy a Playboy magazine when I went to the college bookstore. I began to kind of clean up my attitude towards women that I, weren't, I wasn't treating well in those days as a student. And at the same time, I'm doing, I'm doing, uh, I'm excelling as an athlete. So pro scouts are talking to me about a, about drafting me as a catcher. So, but it didn't happen at the end of my junior season. Came back from my senior year in college. Uh, Going to draft me that year. Well, nothing happened. So I began to think about what do I do next. My coach said I could talk to some teams because Ohio University has a great tradition. We have lots of uh, players in the pro leagues right now or back then. And I said, let me let me think about it. And that was my code word for praying. And so I prayed for a couple of days, and I told my coach, no, I think I need to move on, move on with my life. And that was a huge step because I've been training all my life to be an athlete. I had three goals when I was a high school kid. Win a gold medal in wrestling in the Olympics because I was part of a great wrestling program in Detroit, and I won a state championship back in those days in high school. Number two, be the first catcher to get to the major leagues and get 3,000 hits or be a linebacker in the NFL. So I was, I was pursuing those goals as a high school kid and as a college student. Now here I was, obviously wrestling was put aside, football was put aside. Now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a college athlete, and I'm at a point where I could potentially get some pro tryouts, even though I wasn't drafted professionally, and I felt like I should walk away. 
And I did. Now, I'd earned a scholarship to graduate school, so I stayed in Athens one more year and got a master's degree in physical education, thinking I'm going to go coach and teach. That year, I got involved with a group at Ohio University called Chi Alpha Campus Ministries, the Assemblies of God Outreach to Secular Colleges here in America. Chi Alpha's name simply means Christ Ambassadors, Christ Sent Ones. We're supposed to go and win, disciple, and send on the college campus. So I got more involved in the Chi Alpha chapter as a graduate student. Started going to the Assembly of God Church, started going to Sunday school, started learning more about what it meant to be a Christian, what I should believe in, why, how to live it out. Uh, I got interested in a young lady up on the screen, my wife Barbara. She came from Virginia to go to college to get a master's degree in business. We met, began the date that year, got engaged in the spring of our graduate year. And at the end of that spring, this is back in 1982 now, my pastor said, Chi Alpha has a training event for young people in the summer. You ought to go to it. It'll help you as a young Christian learn more about the Christian faith and how to practice it. And uh, he said, I'll pay for you to go if you don't have any money. I said, well, I don't have any money. So he, I said, okay, I'll go. It's a couple-week-long conference. And during that conference, I heard God say to me in several ways that I want you to not pursue education and become a campus missionary. And that was a huge career path change at the moment. But all I knew to do was say yes, because God is Lord and I'm not. And so I said, okay. And so Barbara and I got married that summer August of 1982, in September of 1982, we started directing the Chi Alpha chapter, which had been at Ohio University for several years. We served there for eight years, and in 1990, I was asked to serve in a national leadership role over the eastern half of the country. So we moved to Columbus, Ohio, where I worked from Chicago to Boston, Boston to Miami, Florida, visiting our Chi Alpha missionaries, bringing encouragement, developing resources, and helping them do their jobs better. But my kids were small. I've got two kids, Sarah and Josh, and I was tired of traveling, and so I decided to pick a campus to go back onto. So 15 years ago, we ultimately relocated to Boston, Massachusetts to begin our first urban project. Today, we're on about 280 campuses in the United States. Most of those are college towns like Athens, Ohio, where there's a major university like Ohio University, or Ohio State in Columbus, or the University of Iowa. But Boston was the first project where we said, okay, we need to figure out urban areas with elite academic schools like Harvard, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Boston College, Wellesley College. These are all private schools, and they're a lot harder because, number one, they're more restrictive on religious expression. You can practice your faith, but uh, at, at Ohio State, for example, or Ohio University, we could do a religious program in the dorms, in the dormitories where students live. And the private schools, a lot of schools, they won't let you do that for different reasons. Uh, you can't pass out tracks, for example. Now, tracks are kind of an old thing for students, so we don't do that anymore. Uh, a lot of campuses like Ohio State will have a free speech area. I could stand on the middle of campus and say, I'm going to talk to you students today about Jesus Christ. There's a free speech conversation area. Private schools don't have that. Now, I could stand on the street corner, like at Harvard, near Harvard University, and, and do that if I get a permit. So the bottom line was 15 years ago, we relocated to Boston to figure out how do we do an urban city with a lot of schools uh, a lot of students, private elite schools, where students are, have tougher homework. Now, I, was, I graduated with honors and a couple of degrees from Ohio University. I wouldn't qualify to get into Harvard University. Now, homework is homework, but if you're studying electrical engineering at MIT, the greatest engineering school in the world, in my opinion, homework, you know, it's kind of scalable. Their students are a lot smarter because we have students scoring like perfect on their SAT score, 1,600. They come to MIT. Um, we had a girl a couple years ago, since I worked there, I, I have a ch I'm, I'm considered a chaplain at MIT. I have an office on campus. I have a staff card and so on. And every year we welcome the freshman class. And a couple years ago we had 25% 25, 25 of the students in the world who scored perfect on their SATs came to MIT. One girl, 13 years old. She was the genius but she's still 13 years old. So my wife and I and children have been living in Boston the last 15 years. Let me uh, tell you about Buiswa. South African girl, came to Wellesley College a couple years ago. Wellesley is a women's college. Hillary Clinton went there when she was a young lady uh, back in the 70s. Uh, Buiswa is from a Christian family in South Africa. Came to Wellesley, I met her because her brother was involved with me in my Kayafa chapter at MIT. But Buiswa didn't want to practice her faith. She wanted to party and do other things. She was kind of a chameleon. 
And for the first two years of her college career, she was up and down as a Christian. Come the stuff, not come the stuff, wasn't really practicing her faith. But a couple years ago at Easter time, I said, hey, we're going to do a nails project. Would you help me? She said, what's that? We're going to pass out nails on campuses in the city on Good Friday with a sticker on them advertising a website. And if you go to the website, you'll see a movie we made about what Easter's about. We're trying to use curiosity to engage students. And so I said, that's kind of a corny idea. I said, well, we're going to do it. Would you help me? Would you pass out nails at Wellesley College? She, she, she kind of hemmed and hawed. Finally, she said, okay, I will. She took some initiative and put them in the students' mailboxes in her dorm, first of all. Then she went to two or three other dormitories, and that's when we got in trouble because she didn't have permission to go to the other dormitories. So the next week, we're called into the dean's office, and she's yelling at us, not, not, not yelling like, yeah, da, da, da. she's just t- telling us we did wrong. And Bowie Swa stood up and said, you're right, ma'am, but don't blame Mike and Kai Alpha. I made the decision to do that. Blame me. I'm a student. Um, and the dean said, well, we're going to talk about that. And we did get, we had some punishment and kind of meted out. But she called me a week later and said, would you come back to campus and talk to me, have lunch? I said, sure. I came back a week later and Bowie Swa said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being a chameleon. What do I do to get on track with Jesus? And start living my life more consistently according to his teachings. And that was a turning point in her life. And for the last year of her college career, she did practice Christ's teachings as best she could. And she started connecting with her, her, her classmates and colleagues about why they might consider Jesus' teachings. She became a, an effective witness, an ambassador of Christ. Then she left Wellesley, went to London to go to medical school. Now she's back in South Africa working as a doctor, living for Christ. And you've had a part in her life. Patrick, from a Christian home in Florida, came to MIT. He was a wrestler. Uh, I met him when he filled out an interest card at the student activities fair. All the colleges have activities fairs where any group on the campus, ski club, the school newspaper, a religious group like Chi Alpha could put up a table and put out information. Patrick came by, filled out a contact card, went to visit him in his fraternity where he happened to be living as a freshman. And, and as I walked up, I knocked on the door and it's Patrick Bernard there. He came to the door and said, who are you? And I introduced myself, had Tony, one of my student officers with me. And Pat said, aren't you intimidated being here? I said, why should I be intimidated? Well, this is a fraternity. I thought Christians thought fraternities were like the pit of hell. I said, Tony, are you intimidated being here? And he said, no. He said, Mike, are you intimidated being here? I said, no. Pat, we're not intimidated. Are you intimidated? You're living here. And Pat said, no. And so we, we walked in, and we said, you fill out one of our interest cards, and you said you want to learn more about Jesus Christ and his teachings, be involved, and so on and so on. And as we kind of uh, talked to Pat, we really kind of hit it off. So he joined us. He came in as a Christian who knew a lot about what he believed. His parents had done a really good job. They didn't tell him, by the way, the devil's going to get you. His parents didn't tell him, you know what, you're not training to be a pastor. You're really a loser. Because I'm telling you, I've been in a summer's got missionary for 29 years. We still tend to celebrate the kids who go to Bible college, but the kids who go to the secular schools, well, you know, go to Bible school, yay, you're going to serve God, be a clergy person, become an engineer or dentist. Pat's parents prepared him to understand what he believed and why. So when Pat came in, he was ready to go. So we launched a Bible study as fraternity. So now I'm from Michigan, so guess what? Every time the Michigan-Ohio State game comes on, I'm not in my home, in my comfortable chair watching the game. I'm in Pat's fraternity where guys are having beer drinking contests and throwing ping pong balls and shooting pool because I'm hanging out with people who don't know Christ. And through Pat's witness and example, we've led lots of folks to a relationship with Christ and help them grow. Now, he's currently working as an engineer in Boston, and he's continuing to win, disciple, and send because he's doing what he's been doing most of his life because his parents modeled it, not just coming to church. Just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, all right? Win, disciple, send means it's a lifestyle seven days a week and so on. So Pat's an example of a person you've had an impact on. Brenna. Broken home in New Hampshire. Mom and dad divorced when she was 12 years old. She took off out of rebellion, anger, brokenness. Got involved in a lesbian relationship in Cleveland, Ohio. That fell apart. Brenna went back to her alcoholic mom. Lousy, rotten childhood for Brenna. 
comes to the New England Conservatory of Music, one of the great music schools in the world, 800 of the top musicians. We have a Chi Alpha chapter at the New England Conservatory of Music. Brenna meets Melissa, our student Bible study leader. They're living in the same dormitory. They strike up friendship. And through this next year, Melissa just spending time listening to Brenda, kind of unbutton her life and crying a lot, talking about the brokenness inside, trying to figure out her identity and all, all, you know, all sexuality issues. And, and Brenda's got an eating disorder because you know, her identity is you know, about that big. She feels like a bum. No one cares for her. And so through Melissa's intensive just friendship, hanging out, spending time listening, not preaching at her, not saying you've got to clean up your life first before you can even come around me. And I know that we treat people differently. I've told you I'm a heterosexually broken person from my past. No one's booed me yet. No one said, there's the door, big fella. But if I told you I was struggling with same-sex attraction, some of you might boo me and say, how dare you bring a man like that into our church? Melissa didn't treat Brenna that way. She saw Brenna as made in God's image because all of us are made with dignity. Brenna ultimately came to say, Jesus, help me. Help me inside. Eating disorder, my, my sexuality. And I did her wedding a couple years ago. She's married to Roy, and they have a couple of beautiful children, and Brenna and Roy are working in a ministry in Boston, helping folks who are wrestling with same-sex attraction and eating disorder issues to try to find wholeness in Christ and healing in Christ. And you've had a role in her life. So for the last 15 years, my wife and I have been in Boston. Uh, now you might be asking, how did we ever meet Ola Josh in the first place? Well, I, graduate, I finished graduate school in Athens in 1982. My roommate for that last year or two was a man named Bill Whitfield. So Bill Whitfield took me under his wing and was helping disciple me because we're called to win, disciple, and send. So Bill was investing in my life as a young Christian as I'm going to the Assembly of God Church, as I'm going to the Caiapha chapter. And my pastor and uh, Bill invited me to a full gospel businessman's meeting like in 1983. And I met a man named Eric Van Buskirk. And Eric took interest in me. I was in Athens. Of course, Eric was here in Kingston. And so you invited me to your church in 1984. I mean, I can't remember. It goes, well, you know, you've been part of my life since like 1983 when I met Eric through Bill. And you guys have been supporting my wife and I as missionaries since about 1984, 1985, something like that. I've been back. It has, has, it's been a while since I've been back here for a service. But I'm here today again to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for praying, investing in us as one of your mission expressions. And um, we're grateful for your partnership because uh, Pastor Eric, as has Pastor, they, you guys would call now and then. You know, most missionaries, it's kind of an isolated idea. We're out there somewhere in the United States around the world. We communicate through newsletters, emails, phone calls. It tends to be kind of a one-sided. I do all the initiating. I don't hear much from supporting churches. But you guys have been one of those who have taken interest. And, and Pastor Eric would call me consistently. How you doing? You need 100 bucks for a project. How can we pray for you right now? And that's really powerful and, 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 and energizing for folks like us who are out there representing you in, in the missions assignments that God has given to us. So, again, on behalf of my wife, Barbara, our two kids, Sarah and Josh, uh, thank you for being, for being a part of our team these many years. Sarah is 26, working in Virginia. She graduated a couple years ago from a college in Boston, went to Peru for a year to work with children. Now she's back, almost finished off paying her one college loan to consider graduate school, missions expression, or something in her life, but she's working in Virginia. My son Josh is 24, and I, unfortunately I forgot to stick a picture of them on the slide, but um, he graduated a year ago from Northeastern University in Boston. He is working in New York City at Penguin Publishing, one of the world's largest publishing companies. He's applying for a PhD program um, to study film and become a professor and try to influence the Academy for Christ from the insider position as a professor down the road. So he's been accepted at several schools like UCLA, uh, New York University, and others, but they're so expensive that he can't, he, we, we told him you can't go into debt like $75,000 for one year 
to go into these master's degree programs. So um, PhD programs are generally paid for if you get into them. Master's programs aren't always covered. Uh, now, it depends on the field. If you're an engineer, a lot of master's degree programs would be, there'd be a lot more grants and help for you to get to a program without paying too much. So Josh is planning to move to Los Angeles later this summer to establish in-state residency for a year, which would cut a lot of money off the potential cost of being a master's degree student, a master's degree student, and then going for a PhD. So they're both healthy. Uh, they're both doing well. And uh, my wife and I, let's see, she's still my first wife. That's right. So um, uh, this August, we'll celebrate our 29th anniversary, and we're going for 30. We're on the one-year handshake agreement. Well, we already did death to you part. We know we're going that far. Um, but uh, we're, we're certainly grateful for your partnership. I need a favor. On this side, I've got penance, college penance, like Dartmouth, of universities where we do not have a Chi Alpha chapter in the Northeast United States. These are schools where we want to put a Chi Alpha group in the future. On this side, like the University of Connecticut, are penance where we do have a Chi Alpha chapter. I'm asking all of you to come up to grab one pennant and go back to your seat right now. This side, we don't have a Chi Alpha group on that campus. This side, we do. I'd like to have every pennant out in the, in the pews, so to speak. Everyone can't grab one, but number, you know, I want them all back into your hands for the next few minutes. Just keep it on your lap or hold it in your hand somehow or drape it over your shoulder. I think we got one more. Is there anything? Okay, one more right there. Yep. So we got them all covered. Thanks. The reason I'm giving the penance, are, the penance out is to give you a visible representation of what's happening in the Northeast. When I went to the Northeast United States 15 years ago, there were about seven of us. Seven of us doing campus ministry for Chi Alpha Campus Ministries. Today there's 70 of us, 70 of us, and those pennants on this side of the room represent where we have Chi Alpha groups today on campuses that are winning students to Christ, discipling students to Christ, and sending them into the marketplace uh, to influence more for Christ. But I've got a new job now. Uh, in this last year or two, the Assemblies of God and Chi Alpha has asked me to leave Boston to step into a larger leadership role. As I said a minute ago, when I went to Boston, there were seven of us. Now there's 70 of us, and all those missionaries are under the age of 35, and they're asking me to be a Paul to these young Barnabases, or maybe a better way, Paul to Timothy, because Barnabas really helped Paul get going. And so I'm in the process of getting my budget raised as a missionary again to accept a national role, a national role in training missionaries, mentoring leaders, and developing resources for our mission. Now, when I'm not sleeping, I'm currently encouraging, mentoring, coaching a lot of these 70 people in the Northeast because I'm the dean of, I'm the oldest person in the Northeast. I'm the oldest Kaiafa missionary in the Northeast, and I'm glad to help other people. Um, so once, my, once our budget gets raised, we have $1,100 to go in monthly pledges. Once our home sells, we will ultimately relocate to Charlottesville, Virginia, which is home to our national training office. My wife's from Virginia, and she's excited about uh, moving closer to her mom and her sisters. So how can you pray for us? There's an example. Number one, we have $1,100 to go in monthly pledges. You guys already support us 50 bucks a month, so I'm here to say thanks for that. Number two, pray for us. I'd ask you to consider taking one day of the week and say, Ola Jars, Tuesdays is my day. I'm going to skip one meal and fast and pray for you. Or I'm just going to pray for you on Tuesdays. Just a couple minutes. And there's some material on my book table out in the lobby to say, we'll remember Ola Jars and his wife. Number three, one of my tasks in terms of training leaders is to develop training methods. Four years ago, we launched a conference in New York City called Insight. It's our annual four-day training event for our missionaries to understand how to do their jobs better. So we have, a, we have an Insight conference in the Northeast United States. We don't have that kind of conference in seven other regions of America. So part of my job is to establish that kind of a training event 
in seven other locations across the country. The conference costs $10,000 to do one. I'm hoping to find churches, uh, nonprofits, people, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, who, whoever's interested, to help me raise $80,000 a year. Because if I do eight of them a year, it costs $80,000 or $10,000 per conference. But we do them on a three-year cycle. So we're going to do one this summer, next summer 2012, next summer 2013. And then every fourth year, we do a national conference in America for all of our missionaries in America. So for the next three years, I'm, I'm praying and asking God, would you consider investing, fi- helping me find partners who would give $10,000 a year so I could tell the missionaries, you come for free. I'm investing in your growth as one expression of my new, not my new work. So far, I've got about $1,000 committed for the Northeast Insight Conference. I've asked people, for example, would you give 100 bucks a year? 100 people giving 100 bucks a year is $10,000. See? So right now, I got a little over $1,000 raised for the Northeast Insight. Of course, April 30 was my, well, I was shooting for April 30. Um, but if you'd be interested, talk to me. But I'm asking you to pray that God would provide that kind of resource. It'd be a, an annual commitment for a three year term. Then lastly, our home needs to sell. And so far in Boston, it's like, like, a lot, like a lot of places, it's a buyer's market. We haven't had any interest in our home. So uh, getting our budget raised, having our home sell is uh, the, kind of the things we're working on and things that I ask you to pray for. I'm excited because those are some of the staff from a, the last Insight Conference. If you look in the bottom row to your right, the front row, the, the, the guy's kneeling down. I don't have a pointer, but the guy in the white shirt with glasses on the, on the bottom right of your picture, his name's Joe. Joe is in his second year with his wife, Rachel, pioneering Chi Alpha at the University of Vermont. Joe came to Christ at the New England Conservatory of Music through Brenna. Remember Brenna? Melissa helped Brenna. Melissa Juan discipled and sent Brenna into the school. And then Brenna reached Joe. And now Joe is a Christian, but Joe is a Kaiapha missionary, pioneering Kaiapha at the University of Mountain. And you've had a role in Joe's life, like you had a role in Brenna's life through me and the work of God. So um, that also means that we have eight regional directors in America. And part of my role is to mentor them. So I'm excited, even though it's sad to leave student work day to day, I feel like part of my role as an older person is to invest in this next generation of leaders, encouraging them, coming alongside them, resourcing them, saying, I believe in you. Uh, no, no, God's not done with me yet either, of course. I get plenty, but I'm going to invest in leaders to invest in students to multiply more for the work of Christ. And so that's the, um, that's the idea. If you want to contact me, we have a website, uh, email, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, thank you for allowing me to at least give you a, a, a report, a heads up, a thank you, um, an attaboy, church triumphant, thanks for doing your part for missions. Now, I'm going to ask you right now to stand to your feet, and those of you who have a pennant, I want you to hold your pennant up just for a second, and I'm going to ask you just to take, to take 30 seconds and raise your voice a little bit and say, Lord, bless your work at this particular school. And the rest, of gonna, the rest of us are going to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Amen. We're going to kind of join in just for 30 seconds and say, Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Because Kaiapha is not the only Christian group on a lot of these campuses. There's the, there's the body of Christ working together. And I'm, I'm pleased to say the Lord is building his kingdom. So when I say, I'm going to say, ready, set, go, those of you who have a pennant say, Lord, give us, the University of Massachusetts, strengthen your work, bless your workers, help students, help campus missionaries do their best. And raise your voice. It's going to kind of sound chaotic a bit in the sense of all of us praying at the same time. But I want us to kind of hear a lot of camp. Lord, give us Boston University. That, that kind of a prayer. And we're going to be saying, yes, Lord. Ready? One, two, three, go. Yes, Lord. That's right. Thank you, God. Amen. 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 You may be seated.
This is a big pretzel jar that's not any longer holding pretzels. Rock number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Five. Six. Seven. Is it full? Who thinks it's full? Raise your hand. Think it's full? Okay. Why don't you think it's full? Some of you said no. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there, yeah, there's some space. All right, let's take a look here. Let's take a look. Sand. Oh, maybe one more, huh? One more. All right. Full, right? It's, it's, it's full now, right? No? I could put some more sand. I'll finish it off, right? Put the cap on. We're good to go to lunch. No? Water. Now, give me the courtesy of the little, bit, little space at the top here. I'm not going to put the top on at the moment. Full now? What's the point of the exercise? Good answer. Not the one I'm looking for, though. What's the point? Always room for a little more? Not what I'm looking for. Good answer. Takes all three. Not what I'm looking for. Fills what? What? What do you mean filling the gaps? <laughs> yes. Good answer. Not the one I'm looking for. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Get the big rocks in first. If you don't get the big rocks in first, it doesn't work. What are the big rocks in your life? Today is uh, May 1st, 2011. This is Revelation 7 9. One day, people from every tribe, language, people, and tongue will be singing songs like we sang today. We don't know how much time we have. The Bible says God has a plan. Now, the Bible's a dangerous book to read. You know that, right? It's written at least three levels. So the individual, the, the bottom level of the Bible are individual narratives or stories, like David and Goliath, the little boy who gave his lunch to Jesus, um, Jonah and the whale. Important stories, need to know them. There's a middle level to the Bible. God's covenant with Israel in the Old Testament, God's new covenant with the church in the New Testament, need to know. But there's a larger story, what's called the meta, the big story of Scripture, which is framed by four words. Do you know what those four words are? 
Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We need to read the Bible top down to have context for the whole of the Bible. If you read the Bible bottom up, you could think the Bible supports throwing rocks at bigger people who make you mad. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Right? So we have to understand creation fall. Now, understand, sometimes we tend to hear fall redemption. We only hear that. Okay, you need to get personally saved, to get right with God, to have your sins forgiven, to have your account paid for, so you know where you, where you go when you die. Because it's all about personal redemption. And the Bible does talk about that. But it's only half of the big story. If it's only about your salvation, once you become a Christian, we'd shoot you, boom, and you go to heaven. That's all God's concerned about. But God's not concerned about that because God told the disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. He also said, take care of the planet. Now, I'm not talking about just being an environmentalist this morning, but God's called us to be salt and light in the earth because everything God created is good and God's in the business of restoring stuff. So we need creation, fall, redemption, consummation working together. We know we can't fix the world totally before God comes back. But because of that understanding, Christians have, been, Christians have been launching hospitals for a long time and caring for the poor for a long time and taking care of the planet for a long time and working involved in systemic evil in the world for a long time to bring the gospel's influence into the marketplace, into our neighborhoods, into our homes, into our larger culture. Because we're not just isolationists waiting for Christ to come back with bars on the door saying, Lord, keep us safe from the devil until you come back. He's called us to make a difference, to win disciple and send in your language. But in the Assemblies of God, we've often said, boy, you can't go to a secular university. Remember I told you, we clap for people who want to go get a Bible degree. We don't clap for a person who wants to become an astronaut. Yet can an astronaut serve God, make a difference in the world? I mean, how many pastors do you have on staff here? Technically, you know, Who? Just, okay, you have, you have one pastor, and you got 400 ministers. I mean, not to be a, to, I'm not making a play in words, but think about it. You're being equipped for the work of the ministry throughout the week. It's not just about Sunday. We're living the gospel every day. And we're going to do our best personally to win people to Christ. But one of my heroes, I've got a poster on the wall of William Wilberforce, who in the 19th century led a reformation of manners and abolishing the slave trade in the British Empire. Now, you can't find a poster of William Wilberforce. You may have seen the movie, Amazing Grace. that came out a couple years ago. A Christian who wanted to make a difference, and he partnered with artists and business people and other clergy to say to the British Empire, this is wrong. And some of you are involved in the National Day of Prayer. That's one expression. Some of you may be involved in the correctional institutions, bringing hope and change. And not to borrow that phrase from our president, but, but to bring encouragement and hope to people who are incarcerated. Some of you may be involved with, with broken homes and caring for, for uh, women who, who don't want to have an abortion, want to give their baby to someone who would care for that baby. I read about a church, uh, heard about a church in Alabama uh, this last year or so that they wanted to get involved with their community. And one expression was adoption. And so they took a year to prepare their people. They had, they had like 175 families. And then they had a lot of single people and, of course, senior citizens. There was a church of about 500, I think, at the time, as I remember the story. And they prepared folks. They had people come in and train. How do we get ready to, to be an adopting church? When they were ready, they went to the adoption services of their county and said, we'd like to offer our services to your uh, agency. Uh, how many kids do you have currently in the adoption system? 180. We want to take care of all of them. The lady, the, the phone dropped, and the lady came back, blah, 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 Because normally people call, I like, my wife are interested maybe in adopting. Can you talk to us about one? And the church said, no, we're interested to part. We, we live here. Like a good neighbor, our church is there. Their church ended up adopting 180 kids the first time. Because they're committed to living out, what does it mean to love your neighbor? It's not only about getting them saved, right? Creation, fall, redemption, 
restoration. But we have to remember the importance of the big rocks. Luke 2.52, your Bible verse for the morning. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. Mental, physical, emotional, social. Mental, emotional, physical. Think of four boxes. Jesus grew in those areas. When you get on an airplane, you might hear this. If we have an emergency, put on your own oxygen mask first before you attempt to help someone else. So I'm here to remind you this morning, one of the big rocks is taking care of yourself. Building your, are you growing? Are you the kind of Christian that if you don't go to church, your spiritual life is toast? Some of us may be like that. And I'm arguing that the reason I'm a fruitful Christian today is I've learned some things. People have invested in my life to help me understand how to grow myself, to be responsible for my own growth. You can't just lean on the church to do everything for you. We're called to be disciples and to make disciples. I've been married 29 years. If you said, how do I make a marriage go the distance? Well, I've got 29 years of examples of failure and trying and learning and growing with my wife. We're committed to making this thing work. It's not easy. It's hard work a lot of times. But you keep plugging away. But I want to remind you this morning, sometimes we, we, we attempt to go out, but there's not nothing in the tank. So imagine you're, you're at your funeral. What do you want people to say about you? Once you figure out that answer or answers to that question, then start living that way now. What are the big rocks in your life? Jesus lived life well. He would minister to people. He'd pull away for his own spiritual growth. Some of us feel guilty about growing ourselves. I need to give, 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 give. No, you don't. I mean, have you ever gone to a bakery and seen a starving baker? I never have. So I define evangelism as overflow. I define giving as overflow. I mean, if I pull back the curtain in my life, for example, my wife have, we have two dates a month, at least two dates. One's a go over family business, budget, calendar, what's happening. Each month, kind of know what's happening. Like she knows I'm in Ohio right now, for example. I didn't just leave for the middle of the night. Uh, we have a date date where we go out and just have fun, whether that's going bowling, going to the movies, go for a walk, you know, what, so at least two, because we want to invest in our marriage. Uh, I read the Bible. I, I generally want to read through the Bible every year as an example of what I do. But then I have a weekly study program, about 30 minutes a day, so generally five days a week, generally. Now, this week I've been traveling a lot because I'm in the car so much. I'm not doing that program this week. I'm not telling myself I'm a dirty, rotten, lousy Christian because... No, I'm traveling to do fundraising in Ohio this week. I give myself some space. But in my normal routine back in Boston is daily I read the Bible. Every day I study the Bible. I've got a Bible verse I'm memorizing per week. Those are a couple of my daily routines. Three, four days a week I, three to four days a week I exercise. I'm trying to take care of myself. I want to go to heaven with a flat stomach and big arms. Got to work at that. That means nutrition, exercise, and so on. I read one book a month on different things. Certainly, I read theology stuff, but I want to understand culture. I want to, you know, I'm learning how to juggle right now as a new skill. I'm trying to add some, because I want to keep my mind sharp. So my question to you is, and I'm not going to tell you what the big rocks are, because you've got to figure it out for yourself. But I'm telling you, one of them, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. So mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, if all you're doing is spiritual growth, you may need to get some energy to one of those other three areas. Emotionally, for example, a lot of times we're taught in church, how you doing? We're not taught to say, I'm doing lousy. We have to kind of put on, well, I'm doing great. Well, I'm not always doing great. You know, I told them before the service, right now I'm kind of frustrated because my support raising to get this last $1,100 is not going well. So I haven't, well, everyone's tightening their belts economically. I understand that, but I haven't being able to raise that money in a couple months. You know, I'm kind of mad at times. Why can't churches, why can't individuals, why can't people I'm calling get back to me? That, that, that's, that's kind of being part of life. Uh, I just learned my wife has Parkinson's disease. My wife are in the shock, stunned phase. What's that going to mean for us going forward in our lives? 
So, you know, there's been a lot of crying in my house the last couple months. I haven't even cried yet because I've been trying to be strong for my wife who's been really crying a lot. But I've got some men that I meet with regularly emotionally to talk, how am I doing? What are some weak areas? You know, we all have a weak area. You know, what are, but you need people to say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling low. Do me a favor. This week, call me, Aaron. I just need someone to call me and say, check out. Mike, you're doing okay. I'm, I'm with you. We, we need emotionally, because men, it's harder for us because we need to be strong people. We're, we're, we're kind of made that way. But we need people to kind of peel back the layer a little bit. And if we need to cry, I can cry and, and not have him think I'm really a loser or, or a, not really a man because I'm, I'm getting emotional here. I mean, life hurts sometimes, you know. So again, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. What are the big rocks in your life? Now, you could say, well, I don't really have a plan. Okay. What's one thing you could do? Starting today. Memorize a Bible verse. Well, I don't, I don't memorize well. You can try. I can't do, I can't do bowling pins yet in my juggling. But I got three balls down pretty good, and I got my jugging balls in the car. If you, if, you're not, if you think I'm kind of goofing around, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. Some bowling pins, fire sticks, you know, six balls. I'm reminding you today that let's live life well because we want to honor God. Um, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and men. So think about what's a life well-lived look like to you. I'm not saying you have to read the Bible every day for the whole year to be a good Christian because they didn't have the Bible in the first century, so they couldn't have read it every day. So be careful because in our 21st century world, we can make a lot of assumptions. When we read the Bible, we can read the Bible descriptively or prescriptively. And a lot of times we read the Bible prescriptively and we say this, I'm going to do exactly what the Bible says. And not show us the way you want to do it. You can't throw rocks at big people. Judas hanged himself. One of the, kind of one of the famous. If I, I'm just going to read the Bible. Okay, Judas hanged himself. I'm going to go kill myself today. No, that's stupid. Because these were first century, first generation Christians trying to understand the work of the Spirit in their lives, how to get the gospel out. They didn't have a Bible to hand out. So they had their own story to tell. Have you written down your testimony as an example? Because you are an example of a Christian. And if you said, well, I can't really tell you much about it. you need to come to church and hear it. Well, that may be where you are in your Christian experience right now, but why not learn some more about what you believe and why? So when someone asks you at work, you could say, well, here's why I celebrate Easter. You could answer the question. Learn to ask your friends. I mean, you may be saying, I'm, I'm too afraid to ask people or to be a witness. Here's one of my questions. So what's your name? Michelle. Let's say we're neighbors. Hey, we just had Easter in our church. Do you celebrate Easter at all? And she could say yes or no. You know, I could say, well, tell me about it. What's a, were, you, were you raised in a religious home of any kind? I'm just asking questions. Tell me about your world. Tell me about your spiritual journey. Is that witnessing? Yeah. You're, you're, under, you're asking questions because sometimes we think we're just going to go preach the gospel because we hear Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, Luke described that. It doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. So over your back fence or over your coffee table or in your, in your employer's office, hey, tell me about your journey. What are you growing in? What are some of the big rocks in your life? See, because if I go fishing, I know if I go fishing, I have to use certain bait to catch certain kinds of fish. I can't catch a shark here in, in the Chillicothe area if I throw a line on the river because sharks don't live there. But if I want to catch people, one way is I can preach at them, which doesn't work today. Our, our culture the great thing about our culture is it's a great opportunity for us. Because of pluralism, there's lots of ideas that are out there. People will talk about spirituality. If you ask questions, you'll understand where they're coming from, and you can figure out how would I talk to them about Christ. Because if you say, tell me about your journey, they might say, well, tell me about yours. Well, here's why I've been a Christian. So I'm asking you, what are the big rocks in your life? A great conversation for you and your spouse, you and your children. If you're a single person, if you're, if you're a senior citizen. And um, let's, let's, let's continue to grow to become like Christ. Because he wants us to win, disciple, and send. But I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you to recognize that the starving baker should not be who we are. Let's feed ourselves because the overflow, it's, we, we, we want to pass on. Now, before I wrap it up here in a second, 
Uh, I'm a missionary. I'm grateful for your participation. But I want to remind you, today is May 1st. Here's Revelation 7, 9. We're not done yet. God didn't say, Pastor Aaron, missionary old yards, go do the job. He raised up the church. So I want to hear from a lot of you in this cell. I want to hear your name and what you do. Front row. What do you do? What's your job? Okay. You're, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom? Trained medical assistant. Name what you do. Student where? Fourth grade teacher. You may, yeah, right, correct. In the orange shirt. Where? Great. You, sir. Great. You, sir. Retired. What'd you do before you retired? Great. Great. Oh, excellent. What's your name? Nancy. What sort of work have you done? What sort of work have you done? Okay. Excellent. Yes, sir. Great. My point this morning is don't forget, we're a mission church. And I think sometimes to our detriment, we only hear from people like me who are, I'm an ordained minister, I'm a missionary. But you're missional in how you live your lives out as engineers, as teachers, as all the things you just described in a brief moment. And we need to hear from you because you are winning and discipling and sin because you're living out the gospel here in your county, in this town, and in other towns where you live because you're the aroma of Christ. And I want to say, well done. Thank you for representing Christ because ultimately that's how God, God didn't, God doesn't want us to say we're only saved for our own personal benefit. No, God stationed you in your place of employment, in your neighborhood, because you're called. We're all called to represent Him. And that, that's going to be evolved in lots of expressions. Like I tried to just show you right there that, wow, we have a lot of folks who are out there being the church and doing the church. And I want to say, bless you. Let's continue because one day He will return and that part of our life will, be di- will change because he will finalize his kingdom. We're in the now but not yet of theology. And so we have to remember, creation, fall, redemption, restoration is happening, and it's happening not just through me. It's happening through us in the world today. Would you stand to your feet, please? I want to pray for you. Once I close the service in a moment... I'd like to ask you, if you have one of my pennants, just put it back on whatever side you find it, because we want to use those for the second service. Uh, I am, again, grateful for your participation in my life. Um, thank you for representing Christ to me as a college student when Bill Whitfield took me under his wing a little bit, and then I met Pastor Eric as a young campus missionary and, and so on. But this morning, I want to pray a word of encouragement for you as missional people, to continue to do your part. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ yet, I'd ask you to talk to some of the people here. I'm not going to ask you to come forward in any sort of, but if you're here and you're interested in learning more about Christ, talk to someone you came with or, or grab, saying, Michelle, would you, let's go out to lunch. This is really interesting today. The old guy from Boston, he had some interesting things to say with the rocks, the sand, the water, and all the stories. Tell me more about Jesus. If you're here and you're interested and you're not a follower of Christ, we're glad you're here, first of all. Thank you for coming. Uh, and we hope you'll, you'll consider returning and, because we, we're on a journey together to, to become more like Christ. We're not there yet. We're trying, though. We want to be purposeful. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we have to ask you to join us in the journey. For the rest of you who are on the journey, allow me to pray for you. Lord, thank you this morning that um, it's evident here that uh, you are 
about your business, of building people up. Thank you for what I see and hear and feel in the Spirit. I pray you'll help every person in this church to be the best them they can be. Thank you that you've called us to be like you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for equipping us for good works. Thank you for deepening our character. Thank you for giving us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of you, your very great and precious promises, that through them we can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And yet you called us in 2 Peter 1 to make every effort to add to our faith goodness and the goodness knowledge and the knowledge self-control and the self-control perseverance and the perseverance brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness love so that we will be effective in our calling, in our character. And we ask you to help us and we, we pray you'll strengthen us to stand together with our friends in Christ here at Church Triumphant to continue to be unified in this communal uh, experiment to be like Christ and to do your work. Thank you for Pastor Aaron and this team, this church, this body, this community. May you continue, Lord, to shine upon them and help them to um, represent you with excellence in the power of the Spirit and to uh, live lives well. I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings, blessings. Which one you got? Hey, if you guys if you guys are have one that was from this side, just hold it up real quick. If you you have one of these pennants that were from this side over here, raise it up real high. Awesome. That's sweet. We all played a part in that. Okay, but now raise up. If you have one that came from this side, it's not yet touched in the northeast part of the United States. Raise it up. Just raise it up. You know what that means? Mission is not accomplished. You're not here by chance today. I believe the scriptures tell us God orders our steps. He covers every detail of our lives. And you have a role to play in making sure this portion of the mission the mission is accomplished. For some of you, it might be merely prayer support. Nancy, I don't want to hear you ever say, I don't know what to say. Because you know what? If I would give you a job description, it would not be anything but prayer warrior. Thank you very much. High five. All right. All of us, some of us are thinking, man, maybe God, God's been encouraged you about giving. And you're like, well, I don't know what to do, God. You've not filled me on the blanks. Well, suddenly, maybe this morning, God's filled the blank about some opportunity he wants you to participate in. Mike needs $1,100 to make sure this mission gets accomplished on a, day, on a monthly basis. He needs that. Has been frustrated since the fall to get that accomplished. You can do that. Maybe, maybe God's calling some of you to be Chi Alpha missionaries. I don't know. Or maybe some of you just got unction today that, you know what, I need to do that NDP thing at work this week because I am called to be missional where I work and what I do. You know what I'm saying? It's your, it's your opportunity. Go see his table out there. Partner up at least in prayer, if not deeper than that. Are you hearing me? We're going to make sure Mike knows that Church Triumphant loves him and cares about the mission of when discipling and sending that God is using him to accomplish in the earth. Are you hearing me? We're going to do that together in every way we possibly, possibly can. Jesus is all that matters. Eternity is all that matters. Get the big stuff. We, it's, it's interesting, Mike. We were praying this morning, and our heart was, Sarah, where's Sarah at? Sarah's not here. Mary's not. She must be praying. Jim was in that prayer meeting. Our heart right from the beginning was, God, help us to get our priorities right, that eternity would come into focus, and that everything else would come to the wayside. And you weren't even in prayer meeting. You did not know we were praying along those lines this morning, did you? And I had no idea what a sermon illustration was going to be. Zero, zilch, not. I did not know it until he started it. I had no idea what was going on. Get your focus and your eternity right. You have today. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold or when this whole thing is going to wrap up, but we've got now to make it happen what God wants to do through us. Jesus, we go today in the name of Jesus. We go in your power and your strength. But God, we link arms with a man like Mike Olajars. God, we pray, God, that you would supply all that he has need of. God, he needs income on a monthly basis. He needs project money. God, he needs a physical touch for his wife's body because they can continue to do what needs to be done. And God, today, God, we speak blessing and strength and life over them. We pray empowerment of the Holy Spirit over them. And we pray, Father God, they would be able to continue to all 
alter our culture by influencing those on college campuses who will go be businessmen, who will go be politicians, who will go be involved in the entertainment industry like his son, God. We pray, God, you would do more and more and more of that, Lord. We do pray, God, for, Lord God, those lost and looking, and, 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 and Lord, we pray they would come to know Christ in droves on those college campuses, God. God, we speak your light and your life over them. We thank you for this day. Help us, God, to go be, not just act like the church while we're here, go be the church wherever we go, God, and to reach the lost at any cost, Lord. Lord, we bless you, we love you, and we honor you, Jesus, for that. In your great and awesome name we pray. Everybody say, Amen. Give God a hand clap.